thank the choir and orchestra and uh, the youth choir and children's choir and everybody that did anything this morning. Thank you, ushers, deacons, all of you. We're just so proud of you and grateful for you. Well, today we continue our focus on family matters. And uh, we are looking at youth or students today. And honestly, there is a lot of negativism directed towards today's youth. They are seen as being lazy, undisciplined. I mean, you can't get them in bed at night. You can't get them up in the morning. They are just undisciplined. We also are told that they are promiscuous. Now, the reason I would say that is because we are constantly told that uh, our youth must be provided with contraceptives. Why is that? Well, because they can't control themselves. They are totally out of control. They are not able to control themselves, and so we need to protect them. They are not serious, all those things. I have heard all of these things about young people through the years, but that is not my view of them. In fact, I have a far more positive view about young people than many do today. When I began to become a little bit discouraged about the direction the world is going in, then I like to spend some time with some of our students, some of our youth. The reason for that is because I find them to be far more committed to Christ than my generation was. I look back at my generation and then I, I spend some time with those who are committed to Christ in our church and I find that their commitment is much deeper than the commitment I had when I was their age. Now there are things about them that cause us some difficulties, I guess, or challenges. They are curious. And so they drive us nuts asking why. You say anything, their response is why. So they're constantly asking why. But then that gives us the opportunity to discuss with them some things that are serious, to share the gospel with them. So that's not a negative thing. Another thing about youth is that they are loyal. They are loyal to their friends. They are honest. I read a study some time back and it said that, that young people today are honest and they want adults to be honest with them. I believe that's really true. They are honest and they want adults to be honest with them. Well, with that in mind, you know a few years ago, there were some, uh, a number of pastors be began to be cool. I mean, they wore jeans and tennis shoes and so forth. And I thought, well, I, I ought to be cool too. So get out my tennis shoes and, and those things. And then finally I said, yeah, I'm not cool. <laughs> I, I, I sleep in a suit and a tie. I'm just not cool. <laughs> now, Philip's cool. I mean, I look at Philip. He has his pants. They're real short so you can see his socks. He's cool. Scotty Pooh's cool. He has these funny haircuts, you know, with all that stuff. And he's got little things in the side of it. I mean, he's cool. RJ's cool. He's got a beard. Steve's not cool. <laughs> I'm cooler than Steve. But what I believe, and I, may, I think I'm right, you know, concerning young people... They really are not interested in you being cool. They're interested in you being real. They just want, I think that they just want you to be who you are. 
and they're willing to accept that. I think the reason that we have some difficulties with young people is because they're going through a transition period. I was talking with Pruitt about a year ago and I said, Pruitt, you and I are at the same stage of life. He looked at me and he said, what do you mean? I said, we're, we're, we're both going through a transition. I mean, here, here's where you are. You are going out of childhood transitioning into adulthood. And so you vacillate back and forth because you're transitioning from childhood into adulthood. All right. Now then, I have been an adult for a long time. And I am transitioning from adulthood to old age. And neither one of us know what we're doing. I mean, so we just vacillate back and forth. And, and I think that's what happens. I think there are those transitional times in life. And because they are not as clearly defined as we want them to be, that causes us some issues. Well, today as I speak to the students, I, I want to look at the story of Moses. And maybe he can be an example for us. Take your Bibles, turn with me to, Matthew, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. As we look at Moses being our example today, there are three things I want us to focus our attention on. First of all, you must face your fears. You see, Moses was making a significant decision about life and he had to face his fears to do so because there were going to be some losses as a result of the decision he was making. It was a consequential decision about life, and there would be losses. First of all, there was a loss of position. You'll notice in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Vine says the word refuse means to deny, to renounce, to reject. In Lake Greek, it came to signify to refuse, to acknowledge, and to disown. So the Bible says that Moses then, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was giving up then this position that he, was, that he had. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected that, the Bible says, in order that he might become God's son. So what I want you to see is that there is a cost involved. As you go along in life, you make decisions, understand that there is a cost involved. And when Moses made the decision that he made, he lost position. The apostle Paul made a decision to become a follower of Christ. He lost position when he did. It is believed by many Bible scholars that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, which would be like the Jewish Supreme Court concerning matters of religion. 
So when he became a follower of Christ, he lost that position if he had the position. So Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I considered important, those things that were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul said, when I became a follower of Christ, those things that were gained to me, those things of position, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Students, if you really become serious about Jesus, if you really become serious about your commitment to Him, you may not be the big man on campus. There might be a position that you lose as a result of following after Christ. Moses lost position when he followed after God. Moses lost worldly pleasure. And following Christ will probably be result in the loss of worldly pleasure. You see in verse number 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. See, Moses knew, he understood that there was pleasure in sin, but he was willing to give it up because it was short-lived. Students, there are two kinds of pleasure avail available to you. The first is worldly pleasure. And the truth is, you know this, uh, if there were no pleasure in sin, there would be no temptation. Right? I mean, if it, if it were not pleasurable, there would be no temptation. For instance, we watch the alcohol commercials on television. Everybody's having a great time. There's a party, everybody's having a wonderful time. But they don't say anything about the 3.3 million young people who have a drinking problem. When we watch movies, we read stories, we watch television, there is pleasure in promiscuous sex. But they never get around to talking about the broken lives. They never talk about the dangers that are involved in it. So I, I say to you that there is pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in the world and it offers to you its pleasure, but you need to understand that there are consequences to it. There's also the pleasure of God. And the Bible says that God's pleasure is not passing, it's without end. Psalm chapter 16, verse number 11, the psalmist wrote, in thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. There is no end to the pleasures that come from God. You see, the world's pleasure is passing. Moses understood that. That it is for a season, it is for a short time, but it is passing. And the psalmist said, but the pleasures of God, they are forever. Not only are they without end, they are also without guilt. When you enjoy the pleasures of God, you don't wake up the next morning wondering, what did I do last night? You don't wake up with guilt the next morning. You don't wake up the next morning wondering if I am pregnant. The Bible says that the pleasures of God are without end and they are without guilt. 
Sometimes following after God involves the loss of possessions. In verse number 26, the scripture says, Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Moses gave up some things to follow after God. And one of them was possessions. We know about the lavish wealth of the Egyptian rulers. We've seen the archaeological discoveries that have been made. We have viewed King Tut's tomb and all of those things. And yet the Bible says that he gave that up. Why? I mean, if you had won the lottery, would you give up the money? If you were, if you were born into a wealthy family, would you be willing to give up the money? Moses did. Why? Because he understood it was temporary. He, he understood that the possessions of this life are passing. He also understood that they are not, listen, that they are not satisfying. The pleasures of this world, the possessions of this world never satisfy. I'm around people sometimes and they have money. Some of them do well with it. And there's not anything wrong with it. I hope you all have money. That way your tithe will be bigger. So that does, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. It's your attitude about money. The Bible says it's the love of money. So it's not money. Money is all spiritual. It is neither spiritual nor is it unspiritual. It's our attitude about it. And I get around people sometimes and they have money. And, and they talk about their money. They like to boast about their money. And, but you know what I've also noticed? is that they never have enough. American billionaire was asked, well, how much is enough? He had a billion dollars. How much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Which goes along with what Solomon said when Solomon wrote, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That's profound. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. You see, if your love is in your bank account, then you're never going to be satisfied because that can't satisfy. And so you always have to have a little bit more because you can never have enough to satisfy. One of my favorite stories is the story of the rich young ruler, and I suppose the reason for that is because he had everything as far as we are concerned. He was rich, so he had money. He was young, and we'd all like to be younger, except for y'all. And he had power. He was a ruler. So when you look at this young man, he was wealthy, he was young, and he had power. So why did he come to Jesus? Because he was not satisfied. Those things we believe to be so important did not satisfy him, nor will they satisfy you. So I say to you to begin with that you have to face your fears. If you follow Christ and you become a serious follower of Christ, there's probably some things you're going to have to give up. I know that there are a lot who would tell you today, you follow Christ, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. According to the Word of God, if you become a follower of Jesus, it's going to cost you something. There's a price that has to be paid. Second thing I see is forget your failures. Verse number 27. By faith he left Egypt. Put your failures behind you in order that you might go forward with Christ. So Paul wrote in Philippians 3.13, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. 
We all have failures in life. Moses had failures in life. The Egyptians disdained him because they felt that he had betrayed the family of Pharaoh, that, they had betrayed the, that he had betrayed the country. So they disdained him. The, the Hebrews, though they celebrate Moses now, they did not then. Perhaps you remember the story when the Hebrews were held as Egyptian slaves and Moses went down to where they were and there was an Egyptian and a Hebrew who were fighting. And Moses intervened and ended up taking the life of the Egyptian. Now, did the Hebrews celebrate that? No, they rejected him as a result of that. When he was leading the Hebrews in the wilderness, they complained all the way. They were never satisfied. They wanted something to eat and God gave them manna, angels food, and they said, we're sick and tired of this manna. We'd like to have something else. They complained all the way. And then his siblings, Aaron and Miriam, were jealous of him. The Bible says in Numbers 12, 1 and 2, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses and they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? So his brother and sister were jealous of him. He, in other words, he had some failures in life. He had some things in life that didn't turn out the way that he would like for them to have turned out. He had to deal with that. From a human vantage point, Jesus sometimes appeared to be a failure. He was accused of blasphemy. The Jews said the miracles that he performed were done in the power of Satan. They rejected him. He was ridiculed oftentimes. He was ridiculed by his own brothers. In John chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, his brother said, For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. See, his, his brothers didn't understand. They were not believing in Jesus. And they said, you know, you want to be someone famous. Well, shine the spotlight on yourself. And so they ridiculed him. The soldiers who crucified him, they ridiculed him. The Bible says they kneeled down before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You want to be king? Well, we'll put a crown on your head. And they put a crown of thorns. You want to be the king? And they put a, a robe around him. But it was all mocking. They were mocking him. Even the thief who died alongside Jesus mocked him. In Luke chapter 23 verse 39, and one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You say that you are the Christ. You, you pretend to be someone. Well, then if you are, why don't you come down from the cross and bring us down as well? So they mocked him, and then they crucified him. So from a human vantage point, I would say that Jesus certainly looked like a failure. And I know that, I know that some of you students, some of you young people, you look at your life, and you have failures to address as well. Maybe it's grades. You didn't make the grades that you needed to get in the college that you or your parents wanted. Maybe it's in relationships. You don't have a good relationship with your parents. I would say, do the best you can to fix it. That's really important. Do the best that you can to fix it. Maybe it's a relationship with a 
sibling, perhaps a relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, maybe it's a, a relationship at church that you would say that, you know, it's, it's a failure for me. I had that. I, I was uh, 13 years old and they asked me not to come back to Sunday school. I mean, I failed Sunday school. But see, what people sometimes don't understand is that God can do things with people who appear to be failures. And, I, and, and people ask me, ask me a lot of times, do you think God has a sense of humor? I said, I'm a preacher, aren't I? I mean, God has to have a sense of humor because I failed Sunday school and now then I'm up here talking to you. Because of our failures, though, we are treated as failures because the world doesn't understand that God can take someone who is less than perfect and use them for his glory. Forget your failures. Put them behind you and go forward with Christ. Third thing I would say is to follow your faith in verse number 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So put your failures behind you and follow your faith. Now, how do you do that? Okay, let's, let's say that you're entertaining the possibility. All right, I want to follow Christ. I'm, I'm considering that. I want to be a follower of Christ. How do I do it? Well, first of all, the Bible says considering, considering the reproach of Christ. The word considering is an accounting word which means to calculate, to compare. And it is right. I have absolutely no problem with that. It is right for you to calculate. It is right for you to compare the world and God and I would encourage you to do so. See, that's what Elijah said. If God be God, then follow him. If Baal be God, follow him. But you make the comparison. There's not anything wrong with that if you're honest in it. Make the comparison. Moses compared. Now what did Egypt offer? Because that's the, that is the decision that he has to make here. Whether he's going to follow after Egypt or he's going to follow after God. So what did Egypt have to offer? Position? He would probably be king. Pleasure? All the pleasures of Egypt. Possessions? He could be wealthy. Now, those were things that were offered. What does God have to offer? All right, over here I have Egypt. Position, pleasure, possessions. What does God offer? Forgiveness. And the world can never provide that. The world can never provide you with forgiveness. Copernicus' tombstone reads, I do not seek a kindness equal to that given to Paul, nor do I ask the grace granted Peter, but that forgiveness which thou dost grant to the robber, that I earnestly crave. What does God offer? You say, I want to be a follower of God. What does God offer? Forgiveness. That he washes our sins white as snow, never to remember them again. Removing them as far as the east is from the west, forgiveness. Contentment in life and joy. He gives joy everlasting. I, I, I wish that, I didn't start out to be a preacher. That was not my plan at all. 
but I'm so glad that God allows me to do this. There is such joy that I, I wish that I could tell you the joy that comes from living your life for Jesus Christ. He gives us great joy. Moses compared, and so should you. What does the world have to offer you and what does God offer you? Once you compare, then a decision must be made. And it says in verse number 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused Egypt's offer. Verse number 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. He made a choice and he chose to follow after God. Verse number 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. His decision came with consideration. He compared and he made a decision. The world offers you temporary pleasure and it will offer you that. The world offers to you temporary pleasure, worldly acceptance, and eternal death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God offers to you an abundant and an eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, as we conclude the choice of life, everyone has to make a choice. What do you do? There's the world over here, and it offers a passing pleasure, and that's a possibility for you. And there is God over here, so you have to make a choice. You have to decide as to which way you're going to live your life. And so maybe some of you would say, well, you know, I'm not going to decide. Do you understand that not to decide is to decide? You can't not decide. Because the Bible says that if you do not decide for Christ, then you have to decided to reject Christ. So a decision has to be made. A decision is necessary. You have to ask yourself the question, who is Jesus? Is he worthy of my life? Am I willing to commit my life to him? That is a decision that you have to make. C.S. Lewis said about Christ, there are three possibilities. He is a liar. In other words, he deliberately deceived people, presenting himself as the Messiah. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He thought he was the Messiah. He wasn't. He was just nuts. A liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He's who he said he was. See, that's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is Lord. So I've made my decision, but what about you? I especially appeal to you young people because I do believe greatly in you and I do believe that what you do with your life is extremely important. So what do you do? He is a liar. He is a lunatic. Or he is Lord. What do you believe? Because today we're going to extend an invitation. And if you have never received Christ 
and you compare, you consider, and say, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ, then I'm going to ask that you come and let someone counsel with you, talk with you. You can ask any question you want. But now it's time for you to make a decision. Our Father in God, we come to this time of invitation and we ask, Lord, that you bless it. I especially pray for these students that they will honestly consider who you are, what they're supposed to do, that they will honestly consider and decide. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would draw them to Christ, that they might be forgiven, find contentment and joy in their lives and eternity in heaven. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir will sing. The staff will be standing here. If you want to make a commitment, I encourage you to come. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. But if you've never committed your life to Christ, come today and do that. If you want to come and pray, then you come and do that. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do. Next week, we will continue with uh, Family Matters. And uh, I, I want to take just a moment. To, I, many of you were here Friday night. The children's musical was presented. It was absolutely phenomenal. I, I, am, I was so impressed with uh, 